Uh, Would you join me as we open to Psalm 67 for our first scripture reading this evening? And if you do so, would you please stand with me if you are able? Psalm 67, a glorious psalm about the nations coming and worshiping our triune God, after which we'll read Jonah chapter 1, or at least most of it. Psalm 67, these are the very words of God written, preserved for you and for me. To the choir master, with stringed instruments, a psalm, a song. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. And if you'll turn with me to Jonah chapter 1. We'll be reading all the way down to verse 16, stopping just short of the beginning of chapter 2. Jonah chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, O you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew. And I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you, that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, then... The sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, 
The men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, and they hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and made vows. Amen. Please be seated. Well, as always, let us go to the Lord and ask him for guidance this evening. Let's pray. <clears throat> our Lord and our God, we do thank you for your word, for we know that it is in your light that we see light. It is in your truth that we know truth. Lord, may we walk in your ways. May we see Christ more clearly. May we come to know him and love him better, for we ask this all in his name. Amen. Well, now, in many ways, I think the book of Jonah needs uh, no introduction. It's known by many across the world. We teach it to our children. Many of us have seen uh, the VeggieTales movie about it. We remember the great whale. We remember the plant at the end. And, of course, we remember the, the ever-bubbly character of Jonah. Uh, it is such a memorable narrative. Uh, and even though this is true, I often think that sometimes... Uh, the narratives we've heard the most can be the ones that we know the least. Uh, the narratives that we've heard the most can be the ones that we kind of stop looking at. At least I know that was the case for me. Uh, growing up in you know, a quasi-Christian household, I had even heard of the story of Jonah. I'd heard of the narrative of Jonah. But if you had stopped me on the street and asked me, you know, what is Jonah really about? What is the main point of Jonah? What are the themes in Jonah, I'm not sure what I would have said. I'm not sure how I would have answered. How would you answer if somebody asked you those questions? I think there are numerous good answers to this question. Uh, but tonight I'd like to suggest to you that one of the main themes of Jonah, if not the main theme of Jonah, is that the Lord will always accomplish his purposes. Okay, The Lord will always, no matter what, accomplish his purposes. And if I can add a secondary clause to that, the Lord will always accomplish his purposes, sometimes despite our best efforts. The Lord will always accomplish that which he means, sometimes even when we are kicking against the goads. And we see this embodied in the figure of Jonah. Now, there are two things that we must know before we open this glorious book of Jonah. Two things without which we cannot hope to understand this lovely book. First, Jonah is written to Israel. Okay, Jonah is written to Israel. It's not simply a narrative uh, recording that is simply written to whom it may concern. It's not written to the Ninevites. It's not written to the mariners. It's actually written for Israel. And as such, it serves as quite the, the challenge, quite the pointed and targeted challenge for Israel because, two, Jonah is a representative of all of Israel. Okay, this is not something new to the scriptures, right? Think of Adam, a representative of many. Think of the last Adam, 
right? Think of Christ, think of Abraham, think of Moses. Each of these figures, real people, and yet representatives of a larger body of people. And so too it is with Jonah, a real person encountering real things and real people, and yet a representative of a greater people. And once you recognize these two things, that it is written to Israel, and that Jonah is a representative of Israel, we can finally understand what's happening in this engrossing narrative. And if that's true, this is not the most flattering picture for Israel, is it? Genesis 12 tells us that, that Israel in Abraham are meant to be a blessing to the world. They're meant to be a blessing to the families of the earth. Deuteronomy 4 suggests that, that the Lord rescued Israel for the purpose of them to be a witness to the world. Isaiah 42 suggests that, the, that Israel is supposed to be a light unto the nations, a blessing, a witness, a light. And if this is God's given task to Israel, well, how are they doing? Let's find out, shall we? How are they doing in their God-given task? And so as we look at this, I think it's simplest to look at it as the text presents itself. Verses 1 through 6 as one portion, and verses 7 through 16 as another. And in verses 1 through 6, we see two things primarily. We see the depth of Jonah's rebellion to the Lord's call, and we also see the pervasiveness, the sort of omnipresence and inescapable nature of God in verses 1 through 6. Verse 1, we read that the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Now, if you're looking for a spoiler for the rest of Jonah and indeed the rest of the scriptures, you might find it in verse 1. Because Jonah, son of Amittai, means Jonah, son of my faithfulness, the Lord's faithfulness, not Jonah's faithfulness. We know it's not Jonah's faithfulness that gets the mission done in this, in this book, and it's also not our faithfulness that gets the mission done overall. It's Christ, it's God's, right? Jonah, son of my faithfulness. And the Lord says, arise. It's an important word for this book. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Now, Nineveh was indeed a heinous, heinous place. Uh, first mentioned in the scriptures back in Genesis 10 alongside Egypt and Babel. Okay, not great company. And, and the archaeological record does them no favors either. Uh, public executions, beheadings, torture, things of this nature. And while we might be quick to deride Jonah, and indeed in some senses we should, I do want to ask us this question. How often are we slower to go to our neighbors with much less at risk. Uh, Jonah's life was on the line here. And so his rebellion, while not warranted, is at least on some level understandable. Would we be quick to visit these neighbors? Probably not. Nevertheless, Jonah's response to the Lord's call to arise and go to Nineveh is to rise and flee to Tarshish. And the author wants us to be painfully clear and understand the depth of Jonah's rebellion here. Okay, he tells us three times that Jonah goes to Tarshish, which is in the exact opposite direction of Nineveh, capital of Assyria. 
Okay? We are told that he flees to Tarshish. He gets a ship that's going to Tarshish. And of course, he went with them to Tarshish. Twice in these six verses, he tells us that this is away from the presence of the Lord. Okay? And a whopping four times, we're told that Jonah goes down. Okay? He goes down to Joppa. He goes down into the ship. Verse 5, he had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down. Okay? You almost get this impression of Jonah digging himself a hole, right? Covering himself with dirt, trying to get as far away from the presence of God as he possibly can. Fleeing from God, fleeing from his mission to bring repentance in this message of God to the Ninevites and, and the Gentiles. But remember, the Lord always accomplishes his purposes, sometimes despite our best efforts. The Lord hurls a great wind upon the sea, and the ship threatens to break up. And then we're introduced to this lovable bunch of pagans. Why do I call them pagans? Verse 5, they each cry out to their own God. Right? And it's not a stretch to say that the nations, in fact, the very nations that Jonah is called to reach are represented well on this ship. For just as the Lord hurls a great wind, did you notice that the mariners hurl the cargo into the water? Isn't that interesting? It seems like in some sense, the author is telling us that the nations, the pagan mariners, are more in line with God's will than even Jonah. They're both doing the hurling. And if you don't believe me there, they actually use the same words. Okay, L listen to what the, the captain says. As the ship is tossing to and fro and falling apart, and Jonah had once again gone into the belly of the ship and was sleeping, the captain comes down, shakes him awake, and he says, what do you mean, you sleeper? And then what's the next word? Arise. The very first word that the Lord says to Jonah. Arise. And now we hear these words coming out of this pagan captain's mouth. Jonah cannot escape the Lord, though he tries, he cannot escape. It's really gold, to be honest. It's so well written. In verses 1 to 6, we see the depths, and perhaps literally the depths of Jonah's rebellion, the depths of Israel's rebellion to be a light unto the nations. And we even see in some faint way how the nations are acting more in line with God than Israel, than Jonah, and that's quite a rebuke to God's people. But we also see the pervasiveness of the Lord, the relentless nature, the zeal of the Lord to accomplish exactly what he means to accomplish. And we get the faintest whiff of what that goal is in verse 6. The captain says, one of my favorite verses in all of the scriptures, it hits me with a weight every time. Perhaps the God, perhaps the God of Israel will give a thought to us that we may not perish. What, what is the God of Israel willing to give that the Gentiles may not perish? What lengths is the God of Israel willing to go to that Gentiles like you and me may not perish? It's quite the statement. The captain sailor had no idea the truth that he had just uttered. And in the immediate context of Jonah, what the Lord gives is, is his prophet Jonah. 
But of course, something greater than Jonah is coming. And in verses 7 through 17, we see three things primarily. We see Jonah honoring the Lord with his lips. We see the nations continuing to be more in line with the Lord than Jonah ever was. And eventually, we see the salvation of these Gentile mariners. And as the ship is threatening to be broken up and the crew don't know what to do or who to look to and who to blame, they cast lots, which is yet another expression of God's sovereignty in this narrative. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord, Proverbs 16, 33. Now, this is sort of the equivalent of a dice roll, and the result of the dice roll would show the sovereignty of God because, of course, he is sovereign over all things, including that dice roll. And, of course, the lot falls to Jonah. What do you know? The lot falls to Jonah. And so they confront Jonah. They ask him, what are you doing? Who are you? What, what people are you? And I think we get a little bit of irony here. You almost get the sense that Jonah, with a pumped-up chest, says, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord God, who made the heaven and the seas. And, and we as the readers are like, well, do you really? Do you really fear this God? Because you're in the midst of a rebellion as you speak those words. Do you really fear this great God? You get the sense that Jonah found comfort in his status as a Hebrew. Comfort in his status as one of the so-called people of God. As if the Lord could not raise children of Abraham from these very stones. To borrow words from the Gospels. And now... And now Jonah has dragged in these innocent mariners into his mess. And he seems to care not a lick for their health or well-being. Okay, in fact, they are exceedingly afraid for their lives. Now the mariners care about Jonah. Did you notice that? The mariners, they seem to care about Jonah. They care about his life. After Jonah says, you should just pick me up and hurl me into the sea, what do they do? They row harder. They row harder to get back to dry land. They think, Jonah, I'm, I'm not going to do that yet. That is a last resort. We are trying to preserve your life here. Yet another subtle way the nations are acting in a more godly way than Jonah ever was. Nevertheless, the tempest continues to whirl. The boat continues to creak and crash and break, and the waves spill over. And these pagan mariners call out to the Lord, and they use the Lord's name, his covenant name. O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it has pleased you. And so they hurl the prophet. Of course they do, right? There's that word again. They hurl the prophet into the wrathful seas, and the storm was no more. This would not be the last time that a prophet of the Lord would be given over to the wrathful seas, as it were, so that the salvation of the Gentiles could be accomplished. And then we get perhaps the most stunning verse of Jonah chapter 1, verse 16, where we read that these pagan, Gentile, far-from-God people offer sacrifices to the Lord. They make vows. They worship the very God of Israel. So to recap, chapter 1, Jonah, the embodiment of Israel, is called to be a light to the nations, to bring God's word to the nations. 
He flees. He runs in the opposite direction, finds himself on a ship full of the nations, and no thanks to himself, no thanks to anything he has done, accidentally accomplishes exactly what the Lord means for him to accomplish. The Lord always accomplishes his purposes, sometimes despite our best efforts. And we see in the book of Jonah in in seed form uh, what becomes a mighty oak in the Gospels. In fact, as you look at Jonah, you could almost, and you squint a little bit, it's like seeing Christ in a, in a funhouse mirror in some sense. It's, it's, a, it's a stark contrast, right? You have a prophet of God called to give and bring salvation to the Gentiles, right? You have this prophet tossed over, given over to the wrath of God. You have this prophet swallowed up for three days. You have this prophet exiting the, the mouth of Sheol, as Jonah would say it. You have this prophet bringing many to salvation, many Gentiles, thousands of Gentiles to salvation. And you even have, in some sense, an ascension in both narratives. Jonah going up on top of the hill and looking down. But, of course, in one sense you have a rebellious prophet, and in the other you have the very Son of God. You have the very Son of God who obediently obeys all that the Lord would have him do. The Son of God who is eager to save the lost, to seek and to save the lost. And so what does this mean for us today? Now, what does this mean for us this side of the cross? Well, in keeping in the mood and the spirit of the original text, I think there's a challenge And there's an encouragement. What is the challenge? Well, you know, the context of this individual Jonah, within this context, there is a greater context to the church, okay? And as such, it's no different for you, O church, the Israel of God, as Paul would say in Galatians 6. So, church, lampstand of the Lord, uh, those who are called to be salt and light into the world, let me ask you a few questions drawn from this narrative. First, is there any sense in which we are failing in our witness to the world? Who who are the Ninevites that we might be avoiding at all costs? Is there any way in which we, like Jonah, are fleeing to Tarshish? Is there any sense in which we are digging a hole for ourselves, to hide ourselves from God's mission to us? Is there any way in which those outside the church, the mariners in this case, are more in line with God's will than we are? Are there things that people outside the church do better than we do? And lastly, do we, like Jonah, tend to honor the Lord with our lips while our hearts may be far from him. Do we honor the Lord with our lips in the midst of a continual rebellion? And though Jonah, of course, is written with that broader people of God application, of course, Jonah was an individual. And so we can ask these questions of ourselves. We can take a look in the mirror and ask these very same questions as an individual. 
But of course, uh, there is much encouragement to be had in this chapter. We've seen today how Jonah's rebellion is not enough to thwart the purposes of God. And isn't it good news that the God who gave a thought to the Gentiles is a God who cannot be thwarted? Isn't it good news that the God who gave his only son to bring sinners like us to glory is a God that cannot be thwarted? And think for a moment of the promises of God given to you in Scripture. Think of the promises that the Lord gives to you in his word and think that that God cannot be thwarted. I'll give you just a few. For those who look to Christ, the Lord promises to save these sinners. For those who look to Christ, he promises to sanctify, to make holy these sinners. For those who look to Christ, he promises to seal you for a heavenly inheritance. And this God cannot be thwarted. God always accomplishes his purposes to save, to sanctify, to seal his people, sometimes despite our best efforts. He will surely do it. Yes, brothers and sisters, he promises to work salvation in you, to bring, out, bring about holiness in you, to use you for his kingdom, and he will always accomplish that which he means to. Having said that, may we act more like Christ than we do like Jonah. May we act more like Christ than we ever do like Jonah. May we not kick against the goads. May we not flee from the Lord. May we be a proud witness, a light unto the world. But friends, even when we fail, even when we fail, it's comforting to know that he can and does work in that too. Let's pray. <clears throat> our Lord and our God, indeed you are so good to us, better than we deserve. And Lord, while we are often so rebellious, so quick to flee from your purposes, we thank you that you have provided in Christ a Savior who accomplishes all that we could not, who accomplished all that Israel could not. And we thank you for our union to him, for in that we do indeed have all things. Or may we rest in the finished work of Christ this evening, for we ask it in his name. Amen.